Welcome to the SCA University Podcast, SCA Distance Learning in Times of Social Distancing. Welcome to Heraldic Myths and Misconceptions, an SCA Social Distancing class. This class will also be up on the SCA University Podcast so that you can take it afterwards and will be submitted automatically for credit to the Royal University of Sheer Hafik of Kalantir and the Royal Outlands Interkingdom University. If you would like credit for your kingdom's university, if you have it, that please feel free to submit it. And if you need something from me or Constantia to do that, please let us know. Otherwise, if your kingdom does not have a university, uh, the Royal Outlands Interkingdom University is available to everyone and Royal University of Sheer Hafik is available to everyone as well. So please use those resources. Um, I will let Her Excellency begin the introductions. Hi, I am Constantia Kelowetna. I am a court baroness of the Kingdom of Kalantir. Um, I've been involved with the SCA for almost 14, 15, I've been in for a while. Um, and I'm a former Principal Herald of Kalantir. My name is the Honorable Lord Saito Takauchi. Uh, like Her Excellency, I am a former Gold Falcon Principal Herald of Kalantir. I've been involved in the SCA for this is my 16th year, and I have been doing heraldry pretty much the entire time. Uh, so welcome to this class. We are very excited that we get to teach it because it is something that is near and dear to both of our hearts. We are both heralds. We've both been heralds for a long time. And over the course of that, we've come up with or, or encountered things that come up kind of again and again about what heraldry is or isn't in the SCA. Um, so the broad outline of this class is going to be, we're just gonna go through topic by topic. We're gonna start with more historical sources, uh, more historical concepts. Then we are going to go to more SCA specific ones. And then at the end, since we do have uh, uh, some TRMN people as well, I will turn off the recording since this doesn't need to be in the class credit and briefly discuss some TRMN heraldry questions if there are enough, if there is enough interest for that. Um, ready to just dive in, Constantia? Let's do this. All right, so we've broken this down by person. Uh, so I have the first two. So the first misconception in the SCA is my family has a coat of arms. A guy at the Ren Fair showed me what it is, or I looked it up on Wikipedia, or I found it in a book. I'm therefore entitled to use it. Nope. <laughs> right. It, it, this is probably one of the most prevalent misconceptions in the SCA because... Well, and, and not just the SCA. Right, fair. It, it is one of the most prevalent misconceptions in the world because you will see... Uh, if you go to a Renaissance festival, people will sell you your coat of arms framed. There are people who have gotten tattoos of their family coats of arms and had to have explained, unfortunately, no. Generally speaking, a coat of arms was inherited like a noble title. It went from one person who owned it to another person who owned it most often their eldest son. It could pass other ways depending on the family situation and how it was created and if it was associated with a noble title. 
But generally speaking, unless you can show that you are a direct primogeniture descendant of the original person granted that coat of arms, it's not yours to use. Well, and specifically male primogenitor uh, right. as, as well. Uh, you don't really see a lot of uh, female um, uh, uh, holders of heraldic um, coat, coats of arms. You just, they do exist. They're very rare cases. And this is especially true uh, uh, if you are looking at a, a piece of heraldry that has your same last name on it. But it's doubly true if you're looking at a piece of heraldry that just has another family name associated with it. Like uh, uh, on St. Patrick's Day, uh, my dad, who is in this class actually, and I will send pictures of the heraldry of the Irish families that we are descended from. But even under the weird Irish system where a lot more people were allowed to use it than the English system, uh, we're still not allowed to use it. We're not members of those clans at the level that that would be appropriate. So the first myth and misconception broadly is, no, just because someone with your name at some point had a coat of arms does not mean you have any right to use it. Now, sub-point to this, if you see something in one of those family coats of arms and you want to allude to it in the SCA, you can absolutely use an element of it. 100%. Uh, 100%. Uh, I've seen lots of people do that. Um, there are some people who have are like legit real world arms in the SCA, most of them live in Drakenvald, um, who have to come up with a completely different set of arms, but they kind of, I don't want to say can't, but they kind of uh, pull on or pull from those, those uh, arms. So it can be done. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it, you know, they are not necessarily your coat of arms. And it's important to note that in the USA, it is not illegal to use a coat of arms that is not yours right. because we don't have a heraldic authority. But in parts of Europe, it is not legal. Um, so be careful about that if, say, you're opening a golf course in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of tying into this also is the second myth, which is, all heraldry is deeply meaningful and symbolic and and the things that you put in your coat of arms should reflect who you are as a person and what's important to you and well <laughs> not not so much this is a very victorian romantic idealistic view of heraldry in that the victorian era is when heraldry started being kind of more accessible to uh, the common folk, to people who were not inheriting arms or being given a new title uh, uh, by the crown. It, it, it became more common for people to go through the process in the UK to register. And so it became much more common that people would need to come up with something. And so they started coming up with deeply symbolic things. In period practice, most coats of arms would be your families. And so even if it had been important or meaningful or an in-joke at one point, that point would have been your grandfather or your great-grandfather, or in some cases, this dude 300 years ago, right? So any meaning 
would probably have been lost unless it was a very simple meaning like, hey, my last name is Bo's Lion. My arms have bows and lions. But the idea like, oh, well, we were barristers and so we have scales or, or we were uh, uh, archers. We get, so we gelding and we stuck things on them. <laughs> right. That comes about a lot later and is not really reflective of period practice. It's okay in the SCA. We're never going to bounce arms just because, oh, well, this person is an archer and they have a bow and arrow. That's fine. It's just, it, it doesn't have to be and it is not best period practice. So if you want to go for that hardcore really reenacting or recreating, Design something you like. We're not saying you should design heraldry that you hate to look at, but it does not have to read like a resume of the things that you like. Or the things that you do. Um, right. So uh, the next topic is why the SCA coat of arms, or coat, uh, or coat, college of arms, it's been a long day, uh, doesn't do certain colors. Um, if you have spent any time uh, with uh, heralds outside of the SCA, or you've looked at uh, current heraldic practice, Canadian heraldic practice, which is nuts, but it's amazing. Um, you'll see colors that we that the Society College of Arms doesn't use. Colors like blue celeste, which is like this really pretty sky blue, or tinny, which is orange, or murray, which is like a weird burgundy color. Uh, rose, which is, it's pink, basically. Um, and I've had people come up to me and go, Constantia, why, why can I not use these colors? I want this to be this color. And I'll tell you why. Um, things like, the, it, it's, they were used post-period. You start seeing examples of these around 1605 later. Uh, we look for our heraldic practice, or at least our visual heraldic practice. Names are a little different of, of what we look at, but what we look at for the coats of arms and the devices are pre-1600. It is a hard stop at 1600. So if you see something that is from like 1607 and it's got tinny on it, well, sorry, you're kind of out of luck. Um, it is post-period for our, our uses. Um, now, if you find it, <laughs> Tell us. We right. want to know. If you we, crack that code, great. You will be famous in the heraldic community. And we will love you forever. And I do mean forever. So, it, and that's one of those things that we come across frequently is um, uh, what a, a thing called an individual attested pattern, uh, which now allows things like uh, black charge on a red field, which for years and years and years, it, it's like, well, we can't do this. Um, well, if, if you find examples of period practice, we will take it. <laughs> we will love you forever. And uh, uh, the post-period colors also includes things that are Victor more Victorian creations, like certain uh, uh, treatments of the field, certain things that imply certain things. There are things in period that meant certain statuses like bastardry or the like. Right. But there's a lot of those things that came up in the romantic 
19th century Arthurian obsessed. Yeah, a bar sinister does not mean that you're a bastard. Right. So a, a lot of those things fall under the same category of it's just not period practice, and so we don't do it, even though it is widely known, right? Yeah. So, and, and kind of adding on to this point is um, there's some things that are heraldic practice, like there's some Tudor heraldry that is just complexity 12, like it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's awesome, but it's crazy um, that again, if you can find uses of it and you can document those, we will allow you to use it provided that, you know, you can document it. So, and yeah. this is where you, you know, you talk to your Herald. So, um, Uji, I think you've got the next one. Yep. So this one is actually an interesting point of interkingdom anthropology, and I'm glad that I have it because I've experienced it. Uh, the myth, you can't register arms unless you have an AOA. And uh, I'm going to tie in a little bit here um, because this gives us another bit. But generally, you can register a piece of art that represents you the moment you join the society. From, from minute one, you can register something to represent you. The distinction that we've made because of the way we've structured our ranks and what we call them is that if you have not been awarded arms, you cannot register arms. Instead, you register a device. It's the exact same thing. The basic display is the exact same. The only difference is that it's not called your arms until it's you your, have an award of arms. It's your device. It's your Literally, device. that's it. If you get, if you register it as a device and then you get an award of arms, it's now your arms. You don't have to do anything to change it. Through magic, it becomes your arms. Um, but that's something that comes up a lot is, especially from obviously newer, uh, newer members, oh, I don't have an award of arms. I can't register something, but I'd, I'd love to because they're so cool. Well, come on by. We'll take your money. We'll register something for you. It may be that you get your award of arms in the intervening months and you don't even have to worry about it. Or it may be that it's a while later, depending on your kingdom and when you get it. But there are kingdoms where it is common to not get an AOA for two or three or five years. And so it would be rather cruel of us to say, no, you can't have anything until that point. So 100% you can register a device and display your device. It just doesn't get called arms. And the sub thing here that I want to talk about briefly with interkingdom anthropology, especially because we do have people from multiple kingdoms uh, and multiple uh, continents, so thank you for that, is the idea that you cannot register arms or a device unless you are a member of the society, a paying member. For Constantia and I, this is not true. For the Outlands, at least when I lived there, it was true. Uh, some king kingdoms can require you to be a member before you register arms, before you receive awards that carry AOAs, and before you uh, uh, authorize to fight. So I think the, oh, I think ahead. that requirement for the Outlands got stripped because of a Laurel decision. Oh, so. that would that would be great. Then check into that. Check in with your kingdom. Kingdoms can have weird rules for that. But the rule that they can't have is that you have to have an AOA before you register on arms. So, 
speaking of registration, um, something that I see frequently is the heralds don't like my arms, so they're just going to bounce it. That you know they're not going to register it. They just don't like it, or they don't like me, or anything like that. Hey, guess what? That's not true. <laughs> Uh, we have an entire uh, document uh, where we have to look at things pretty objectively. Um, bad artist period. We really don't care if you drew it badly. We might send it back to go, is this really what you want? But we're not out, the College of Arms, and in fact, I just came out of a, a decision meeting um, where we we have to, we have to look at the rules. We have to go, well, this conflicts with this, this, there's always a reason granted for why something wasn't registered. If, if you have a problem with that, uh, you can absolutely uh, contact, um, you can easily contact any of the, the deciding heralds on that. And there is an appeals process yes. if you think that it was wrongly decided. Yes. Um, and we will always take a look at that um, but it's not because we don't like you or we don't like your arms, because I can assure you, I've seen some interesting uses of arms. I, I'm not going to call them bad, but I will say they, the choice, there were choices. It's basically the same rule as on the fighting field. On the fighting field, we don't care if you're good, we care if you're safe. Yeah. In heraldry, we don't care if it meets our personal aesthetic, we care if it meets the rules. And if your goal is to make heraldry that makes your eyes bleed, great. As long as it as long as it follows the rules, we'll pass it. Yeah, and and well, as long as it follows the rules and doesn't conflict with someone else. Right. Well, which is part of the following the rules. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it we're not out to be monsters about this. We we really genuinely want to pass as much as we possibly can because we think it's fair for everyone to have a heraldic device that they want to use. So. Yeah. Now we might try and talk you out of something, but ultimately it's your decision on whether or not you can replicate it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Which also gets into the next one a little bit, which is uh, that you register a device or arms a certain way, and therefore I can use it in a completely different way that is completely different than what uh, I registered. This gets brought up a lot because there is there is an allowance in, in heraldic practice for what we call um, existing registration. artistic license. Oh, yeah, that one. Sorry. Um, and that, uh, oh, Magdalena brought up the Toyota rule. Of, yes. Uh, passing. If you want it, you got it. Or the, the Burger King rule. Uh, have it uh, your way. Have it your way. Yes. If, if you want wild, crazy, not, you know, super clean, but period rules approved or SCA rules approved heraldry, we'll do it. Um, artistic license is that what we register in the college is the description of the armorial. We don't register any specific depiction of it. Other way around. We, we register the picture, we don't register the blazon. Oh, I'm sorry, I was getting, I got turned around. Um, okay. <laughs> yes. We register the we register the depiction of it, but with the caveat that different artists will draw things different ways, and so that there is a wide variety of acceptable 
ways of depicting the same arms and that there are certain ornaments and and minor modifications that your arms can have before they would be different arms right and that's really where the distinction lies you register it and then you can display it if you want to draw your ravens in a more norse style go for it if you want to draw your uh, uh, sank foils with some internal detailing, that's fine. Uh, uh, Cormac Reith, King of Arms, displays his arms with some beautiful internal detailing that's not registerable, but doesn't change the arms. Well, and, and, and to add to that point, there are ways, uh, even different artistic styles, there are different ways to draw things, um, as long as it is specified, uh, things like details like uh, tongues and pizzles and things like that can all be different colors. We just don't care what those colors are. So if there's something that you must have a very specific way, tell your friends so that it actually shows up on your, your heraldry because that may not get those points may not get included in the blazon because the society doesn't typically blazon those items. Right. But what you can't do is register a thing and then draw it completely differently. So, um, be, go ahead. Sorry. Like, you don't, you, it, it is not considered appropriate to register it, uh, an, an animal in one posture because that's what you can register and then display it in another posture. Or register one animal or one, one charge and then substitute for a different one. Right. Um, you, it, it's, it then does not become your arms at that point. So. And that, that's, a, that's a big deal, not because heralds kick down doors and come in and, and, and knock crap off the walls or levy fines, although that's all period, but because if you're using something that is not your registered arms, it is not protected, and someone else could possibly register it. Yep. And then you've got a shield or a, a surcoat or a tapestry with with someone else's stuff on it. And then, you know, you're, you're basically misrepresenting yourself at that point, whether or not you really want to, or you're doing it intentionally. So um, the next item up, is Sheila, we're gonna have to uh, turn your um, video off really quick. Sorry about that. Um, so next on our list is uh, reserved colors and charges. Are there any? Uh, and that kind of taps into things like purple and ermine and red gouts, which gouts are your shop tier shaped items um and the answer is we do reserve certain things provided you can prove that hey you sat the throne on such a such such and such date or you're a pelican or you're something like that but purple is not reserved um it is not reserved for royalty it is not reserved for anything that taps into i think a really obscure renaissance fair where they said only the royals could wear purple and there were different ways of getting purple now <laughs> or purple in period. Um, they are 
the specific purple that we're talking about, very expensive. It's Tyrian purple. It's Byzantine. Um, it's, and yes, that was reserved uh, based on sumptuary laws, which basically indicate, hey, you can wear this because you are the certain rank or, or whatnot. And that's when the Herald's End period would levy fines or go, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And some people who were rich enough would still flaunt them. It's period. Um, if you aren't a peer, you can still have ermine on your arms. I'm not going to stop you. Um, red gouts, if you're not a pelican, you can have them. That being said, there are still reserved charges out there. Uh, if you, um, let's say that you have a court barony. Hi. Um, I can register something with a coronet on it. There is a list on the SCA heraldry website. Um, I don't remember which appendix it is, but it goes into uh, details of you can you know you can use these if you're this way you or if you have the these particular arms uh, or not arms if you have these particular awards and whatnot. Um, I think the biggest one I've seen is by county. Uh, there's not a society standard for um, for by counties. Um, so unfortunately, they can, uh, if you have a Viscounty, you can absolutely have a coronet on your arms. You just can't have a, an embattled one because that is reserved. So. Um, and I'm just going to briefly say, just because something may have been reserved or uh, reserved or not allowed in period doesn't mean it's reserved or not allowed in SCA practice. Yes. So check our rules. Um, right. Sumptuary laws are period. But they, that doesn't mean they're our sumptuary laws. Right. In Calentir, you could not ban wearing purple without starting a riot. Oh, there would absolutely be a riot and it would be beautiful. <laughs> so, um, so speaking of riots and wars, if uh, I, I see this one quite a bit of people saving their heraldic submissions for war, thinking that it gets done faster. And unfortunately, this is not always the case. Um, we are often, especially if you drop your stuff off at Penzik, uh, which is the SCA's largest war, um, depending on if you are from a principal kingdom like the East or Ethelmark or the Mid, uh, your submission could be waiting an additional up to three months after the war just to get onto our um, commenting letters. Um, we do comment every month uh, or close to that, uh, or we try to, to push through a letter every month that has names, devices, badges, titles, etc. Um, and all of those items have to be commented on. All of the people commenting on those are volunteers and life happens. So we want to make sure that we're not overloading our volunteers who are commenting on that. Um, so we break up those submissions based on when they get through or uh, things like that. If you're from a smaller kingdom or you're from a kingdom that doesn't typically go to a war or doesn't have a large war, then okay, it might get done, um, but you're still looking at a wait time. It's just easier if you get your paperwork done and get it sent into your submissions herald. So the only uh, thing you're putting out really is the time lag from handing it to your Shire or Baronial Herald 
yeah. uh, and them handing it to your kingdom herald. And in most kingdoms, you can submit it directly to your submission herald anyway. Yeah, there might be exceptions. Check your check with your principal herald or your submissions herald if that is the case. Um, so speaking of kingdom <laughs> use, uh, there is uh, something I see frequently, mostly on people's cars, because it's a thing. Is and we want to mark our stuff with our kingdom allegiance, which I think is awesome. Uh, but if you are displaying your kingdom arms. Um, you are display. you are claiming to be your ruler <laughs> and that works. If you are king or sovereign or whatnot of your kingdom, but <laughs> for everyone else, sorry, I hate to tell you, no. So, um, most kingdoms have what's called a populist badge. Um, some kingdoms like Meridiers have like a million populist badges, um, and if you are a member of the populace, this is a great way to show your allegiance in period, in, in period heraldic practice. Um, and this kind of ties back to that whole family coat of arms thing from the very beginning. Your kingdom arms uh, were the arms of your king <laughs> or the, that, that's who they belong to. If you saw England's coats of arms or coat of arms, that belonged to whoever was king or queen and in Elizabeth's case or Mary. Um, at the time, whoever was sovereign. And so if someone else chose to use those arms, so like CR England would be a great example of that, the trucking company, where they use England's arms very, uh, very they prominently. The background color though. <laughs> yeah, they did. But the, the, the same thing kind of goes. So check in, uh, you know, if you want to, we're not going to stop you. There are no heraldic police out there as much as we might grump about it. Um, but yeah, if you want to display something that belongs to your kingdom, if you want to show that you are a member of your kingdom, uh, look for the populace badge. Um, in Kalantir, that we have two. We have um, a, uh, it's a striking eagle, or sorry, striking falcon, sorry, on, I think it's a purple striking falcon on yellow. Um, and the ensign, which we also use as a populist badge, is a uh, purple background with a cross of Calatrava. Your kingdom might be different. Right. So, uh, and that goes for principality badges and things like that. Um, Magdalena, that is close, but not entirely. Um, it's still, by a technical standpoint, uh, and her, so we've got this on the recording, um, as long as we take the laurel wreath off, it's good. Not always the case. Um, it's still, it, a kingdom arms are required to have a crown and a laurel wreath on them. Um, that is not always the case. Uh, or Sorry, that is the case. No, Lokok doesn't have uh, a crown on theirs. Yeah, it does. I thought it had a crown. It really might. Okay. At any point, um, even if you took the laurel wreath off, you're still representing that you are sovereign of that kingdom. Just don't do it. Use your populist badge. A, a lot of kingdoms will use the kingdom arms with the crown and laurel wreath off as a populist badge or have it as an unofficial populist badge. Right. But it is not automatically 
the populist badge. Populist badge. And I think this is an important thing of, look, what you put on your truck is between you and Ford and God, as far as we're concerned. We're not going to go around tisking people who have the, the Kingdom of Kalantir arms on their F-150. Although but, we might eye roll a little bit. <laughs> right. It's just, it's not period practice. And there no. are practices, like that's why if you look at the coat of arms of the Prince of Wales or uh, Prince William, they have what's called a label on them, which is a, they use the royal arms of England, but differenced so that no one looking at them thinks they're claiming to have, you know, the throne Elizabeth out yeah. the window and claims the throne. And that's, and that's a period practice is designating essentially heirs arms with that because only the sovereign would use the royal arms because they were his. Adrian, I think you're next. Yep. Um, so the next one is, this gets into kind of broader heraldry, not as in devices or names, but as in protocol. And it is one that I have talked about a lot. Title stacking. <laughs> if you listened to my uh, Courtly Grace's podcast class, pod class, um, I talked about this, but it is always worth talking about, in, talking about again. Please, please, please don't stack titles. What do we mean? What do we mean by title stacking? <laughs> uh, let's take, for example, um, uh, Ferd. Uh, and for, uh, Conde Fernando, Fernando yeah. Rodriguez de Falcon, uh, who is also, in addition to being a conde, which is a Spanish count, meaning he has ruled uh, Calentier once, he is also a knight. He is also a pelican. He's also a former baron. Is also for, oh God, I forgot that. Yes, he is also a former baron and has a court barony. Therefore, all of his titles would add up to Count Sir Master Baron Fernando. And that's an abomination. Most people don't go that deep into title stacking when they title stack. The most common that you will see is Count Sir or Duke Sir. Or Baron Sir, or Baron, or Baron Master, Sir. or I think my my current favorite is uh, Baron Baron Master Master Harold Harold Help Me Help Me is my favorite. So, <laughs> what do you do? Right, it it the general rule is you use whatever title is the highest, or you use whatever title gave them a hat or you use whatever title is most relevant to the circumstances. Like if someone is on the fighting field and they are both a baron and a knight, it may be much more relevant that they are a knight than that they are a baron. But if they are being called into court, it may be more relevant that they are a baron. And once you start getting into coronets, you also get styles where it is appropriate to a little bit mix and match a style like excellency, grace, highness, or majesty with a title. But even then, like you don't refer to the king as his majesty, Sir Lucian. Or Sir Master Lucian. Or Sir Master Lucian, right? When, when the king of Kalantir is called into court, he is his majesty, King Lucian. Well, or if whatever. He, if he's calling himself into court. Right. 
the a persona appropriate title. Right. And this is just because it's it's not period practice. It's not helpful unless you are act, unless you are pointing out some helpful bit of information and it just takes longer and sounds ugly. And there are period ways of title stacking. There and are. And, and they are beautiful, but they're still wordy and mouthy and usually reserved for letters. Right. So uh, uh, things like, and we'll go ahead and we'll take Ferd, His Excellency Sir Ferd, or His Excellency Master Ferd, or His Excellency Master Ferd, because Ferd is also a laurel as well. Uh, oh, I forgot he was a laurel as well. Huh? Yeah, yeah, Ferd has like everything, uh, except for like a Master of Arms. But the point is, is that there is a, there is a way to do that. Or, uh, His Excellency uh, Surferd, Companion of the Chivalry, Companion of, or Mas yeah, Companion of the Chivalry, Companion of the Laurel, Companion of the Pelican, whatever is, you know, and, and that can get really unwieldy, but that is a period way of doing things, and that's totally appropriate, and um, I love seeing, um, it, it, it Usually when I see that it's in writing and it's because someone has just dropped a, a has basically just mic dropped at that point. Um, they're usually not used unless it's it, someone done screwed up. So, or it's in a court situation where there's a letter involved. So. The only exception that I allow personally is for uh, Master Master Sir Hilary of Serendip one of the very early triple peers, uh, one of the er very early female knights, and one of the very early society seneschals. And uh, we allow that because she can revoke your birth certificate. And she will revoke your birth certificate. And, um, but yeah. Um, so next up on the list is uh, heralds have to be loud. Um, Uji and I, especially we, <laughs> we are in the same space, can be quite loud. We are frequently told to shut up. But most of the times, I'm not all that loud. I'm actually um, talking at, at well below my, my normal volume. <laughs> so uh, today, uh, there are lots of heralds who do behind the scenes sort of things. They are book heralds. Uh, some of the quietest people I know are actually heralds, <laughs> which sounds really weird. Um, a lot of us are very loud. A lot of us are very boisterous, but a lot of us aren't. Uh, if you are interested in heraldry, you do not have to be loud. If there's something that you want to see, come with us. We will show you a fantastic world of, of um, research and art and um, administration, if that is your thing. Um, I, yeah, that, that's one of my, my sticking points of, Harold, have to be allowed. No, you don't. Uh, now, if there are things that you want to do, <laughs> Uh, that happened to be loud, and I'm really sorry, I don't have a windscreen, and I've got a window open. Uh, <laughs> so I am very sorry if you just got blasted with wind there. Um, if there's something that you're really interested in uh, vocally, we can work with you up to a certain point. Uh, there are some things that you may not be well suited for just because your voice doesn't do certain things, but a lot of them can be taught. I did theater, <laughs> so there's a natural projection sort of thing going on, but I was taught as, from an early age how to do that. You can Herald Heraldry contains multitudes. You can yes. do whatever you want within heraldry. <coughs> so. Um, I get to yell about sumptuary laws now. Um, Yay! 
So going back to the idea of, of uh, certain protected things, this myth is that society-wide, there are certain protected emblems for those people who are learning from peers. And, and if you are in the SEA, you can probably rattle them off right off the top of your head. Uh, yes, uh, uh, Baroness slash Princess Zoe asks, can I interpretive dance? Of course, as I demonstrate. It's always a tr interpretive dance. Um, we, we have this myth that red belts are reserved for squires. Yellow belts are reserved for protégés. Green belts are reserved for apprentices. And red livery collars are reserved for uh, provosts of the uh, Order of Defense. And here is where we get into the difference between law and custom. Legally speaking, in many kingdoms, and this is also one where we get into differences between kingdoms that we call inter-kingdom anthropology, because some kingdoms do protect them. But in many kingdoms, and in the SCA as a whole, at the SCA level, there is no law saying that you cannot walk into court wearing a red belt if you've never picked up a uh, uh, picked up uh, fighting, if you've never been authorized on the armored combat field. There is no law that says that you cannot wear a yellow belt, even if the idea of running an event or being an officer makes you break out in hives. There is, however, in most of the SCA, a very strong custom against you doing so. And the fact that there is no law about it will not stop people from pulling you aside at the event and depending on how well they know you or how long you've been doing it, saying, hey, do you know what that means? Or, hey, knock that off. You are making people hate you. Now, that being said, there is a reserved belt. Yes. And are there are two reserved bits, of, like, again, going back to the reserved colors and charges, that also goes back to, or goes to regalia as well. If you are wearing a white belt, guess what? You're saying, hey, I'm a knight. Or if you're wearing a white baldric, you're saying that I am a master of arms. Guess what? You can't wear that unless you are. And if you are wearing a white leather livery collar. Yeah, you are not saying or, that you're a master of arms, even if... You're well, you're saying you're a master, master of, of arms. Uh, defense. Sorry, yeah. Right. Sorry. So those are those are the restricted leathery bits, uh, uh, which gets into another thing that is an interesting variation of this because it actually represents kingdoms willfully breaking SCA <laughs> uh, uh, sumptuary law. Sumptuary laws, which is in some kingdoms, it is the tradition that. Knights wear a gold chain and squires wear a silver chain. <laughs> Sorry. It's against SCA sumptuary laws because SCA sumptuary laws reserve for the uh, knight me members of the knighthood in the order of chivalry an unadorned chain. Doesn't matter the color. Either. Doesn't matter the color. Now, it the original practice was that a knight's chain was gold because when the earliest knights got their chains, they were swag lamp chains that they all picked up secondhand because we were broke college students in the 60s. But that's not, that's not what's protected anymore. And I am certainly not going to barge into the mid-realm and tell them they're doing it wrong. But However. I sit here 
uh, several hundred miles away and say, by the SCA rules, you're doing it wrong. Uh, and, and the thing is, is again, there are no real heraldic police. You know, we will not hold heraldic visitations as much as we might threaten them. Um, but things that are reserved to an order, <laughs> you know, this is what we've done. Um, and yes, the heralds are the keepers of, of the knowledge of that regalia. So, And that can cause problems if, say, you are a squire of the mid-realm who moves to a kingdom that does not do squires' chains. Like Calentir! Calentir, and all of a sudden, you don't know why people are glaring at you. Well, when you move, check the sumptuary laws of your new kingdom because they may be different. And for things like coronets, uh, as long as the coronet was granted to you uh, when you were living in a kingdom where it was legal, it continues to be legal for wear. But if you have a new one made, it must comply with your new kingdom's rules. For example, if I I was granted my court barony and Calentir, we are very specific. My hat cannot, my hat cannot be over two and a half inches tall. It has to be silver. It has to have spheroids or pearls or something on it. Um, but if I moved out to the east, I could do literally whatever I wanted as long as it, it was in uh, SCA standards and I could wear it, <laughs> basically. Um, so yeah, you're. This is a, again. Check in with your principal herald or a, a senior herald uh, for interpretation of your kingdom's sumptuary laws. Yeah, if, if there is an edge case, ask. And especially if you have an idea before it's being made. Ask. Always a good idea. <laughs> As Gold Falcon, I, I answered regalia questions, or, or, or uh, not regalia, uh, circlet questions. Yep before people made them and that made it much easier in case i said no that's not allowed they weren't out that time money and materials right or or i think one of the more notable cases was someone when i was gold falcon was someone had a really pretty uh leafy headband and they wanted to wear it to an event and i had to go may not be the best idea and you know because you don't want to confuse people who are looking for laurels or looking for peers or looking for all of those but at the same time, if something is not illegal and that is the hill you want to die on, <laughs> technically correct is the best kind of correct, but that's not gonna stop people from being mad. I am all in favor of fighting regalia creep. Mm -hmm. Just make sure that you're actually, that you're willing to, you're willing to make that fight. Uh, if that's right. what you want. Um, but also we're not trying to be jerks about any of this either. Um, and we do have some really strong opinions and we do have some really opinionated members of the College of Arms and the College of Heralds. Um, so if that's the hill you want to die on and, you know, you want to pull a whole change of my mind about it, that's up to you. Um, I'm not that kind of person. So I will, I will caution you gently of that may not be the best idea. And in a king or in a uh, hobby predicated on chivalry and and good behavior. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of good behavior and heralds acting badly, question mark. Um, on next up on our list is if you don't have a name, we the heralds will choose one for you. 
okay, no. <laughs> uh, one, if you see this happen, if you see someone get pulled into court for their AOA and they still haven't picked a name yet, and the king goes, Heralds, we are making, or we are charging you to give them a name. It's probably done as a joke. If it isn't, um, well, that, that is the king, that is not us or the ruler. Uh, we try really hard to give you what you want. Um, just because um, there are lots of, you know, you are choosing your identity essentially in the SCA. And, you know, we're not gonna give you like Bubba Fitz Elvis unless you really want it, although I think that's registered. Um, Bubba App Elvis. Yeah, that's it, Bubba App Elvis. Um, the, the whole point of this is, this is a hobby, this is supposed to be fun. Uh, if you see a name that you really want and you just haven't gotten around to registering it or you haven't figured out what name you really do want, it's okay. And guess what? If you don't like it later, you can change it um, or you can register something else. Um, in, you can register up to six names as an individual and up to six pieces of heraldry. So that could be, um, I know someone who literally has a badge for all of his uh, uh, alternate personae. <laughs> so um, if you don't like the name that you have, or uh, let's say it, you know, a, kind of a rare case, but I've seen it is, let's say you've gone by a name for a million years and you've decided, you know what? None of this is fitting, not even my modern name. I'm changing it all. I'm changing everything. Guess what? We can take care of that too. You do not have to be known by that for the rest of your life or your rest, rest of the SCA, you know, your time in the SCA either. Um, but ultimately, those are your choices. We will give you as much research as we can find. If you find something provide from a good um, source, a good... Um, scholarly um, reputable well-cited yeah source not a baby name book sorry um we're going to do what we can to get you those names and to get you that within your you know we're, we're gonna we're just gonna do our best to do that for you and i so many people in the sca will say well i heard about this one time and if you if you trace that urban legend back to find the mothman that spawned it most of the, like, every time I've traced that back, it ends up with, well, the king was my best friend, and I've right. known him for 30 years, and he told me, darn it, Josh, if you don't have a, a name by the time I'm giving you a grant of arms, I'm gonna name you Winky McPeeps. And then it happens. So it, it, is, it is not heralds inflicting a, a name on someone. It is people who are very good friends end up doing essentially an epic prank on one another. And then that person decides they like it because just because the King says you shall be known as Winky McPeeps does not does mean not that Harold's will register it and does not actually mean you have to go buy it for the rest of your natural existence. This is, this comes up with augmentations in that. Yeah augmentations of arms are things that they, a king and queen can give you because you are just that phenomenal and it gives you the right to augment, to literally add to your arms in certain ways. 
kings will say, oh, well, you should augment this with a tankard because I'm giving it to you because you drank me under the table. But you don't have to register that tankard on anything if you don't want it. If you want to, great. And kingdoms will often have a standard augmentation that they register that they allow anyone in their kingdom to use if they receive an augmentation. That makes it easy. But you don't have to. You don't have to take a name from someone else. You don't have to take a, 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 an augmentation. This is you. We don't get to tell you who you are. Or what you do. Unless it's illegal, in which case, well, right. we're kind of, we have to. Um, but yeah, you don't have to stick with that. Uh, there's a very, very famous example of that. And um, she went, it's a uh, tongue whistle, uh, ended up going with, and I'm probably slaughtering her name because Welsh. Um, but that was not, that was like her second name. Um, some people are not like me and not like Uji, where we have basically stuck with the same persona name for the last decade plus of us being in the SC. Yeah. Um, there are some people who go, well, I'm going to try this on and see if it fits. And then they go, oh no, I don't like this. And it might be five years. It might be 10 years. Uh, they may have gotten out of the SCA and decided that they are going to make a completely clean break and try something else for their second round or their third round or however many times it takes for the SCA to stick. And I think that there's an important distinction there between names and devices in yep. that we, we don't encourage you to just start putting different heraldry on clothing or shields until you find one you like. If you want to paint it, draw it on a, a, or print it out and hang it on your wall at home and see which one you like, that's a great method for deciding if you like your arms. But we don't encourage you to take it out in the SCA for a test drive. Names, names are different. You know, are you going to, you know, if this name is called, are you going to answer to it? And that's one of those things uh, is if, if you are across a feast hall or across, you know, if you're hearing this name being announced as you're getting ready to go fight, are you going to pay attention to that name? Do you, you know, would it be easier to modify your modern name for uh, SCA use, which you can do to, with some um, bits of modification. You can't have your entire modern name, but you can have bits of your modern name. You can use your first name. So if you wanted to be, uh, well, yeah, we've, we've got pretty good examples of this, but you know, if you wanted a really modern first, if you wanted to keep your name, you could, we're not going to stop you. We have ways of making that work. So, uh, Uji, I think it's ready to go for the next one. Yes. So this kind of ties into this. This is not so much a myth or misconception as it is a frequently asked question. Where do you find registered devices to get ideas for your own? The myth that goes along with this is, well, surely there has to be somewhere in the SCA I can look up every SCA piece of registered heraldry so that I can see it. And the answer is, oh my God, no. <laughs> Most kingdoms will have uh, a roll of arms where they have all of the ar uh, arms and devices that are registered to that kingdom, or at least everyone's primary arms. Uh, or or and may not to that kingdom, but people who live there as well, uh, in case you moved in or came from another kingdom or lived there for a time and then moved elsewhere. Um, 
Right. And that's, uh, so that's a resource. You can also, of course, go to period rolls of heraldry. You can use, if you are careful about it, modern rolls of heraldry to give you ideas. You just then have to make sure to check, are these colors all legit? Are these charges all legit? Is the way they're laid out all legit? So no sticking shark mantling on anything. But unfortunately, just because we have, uh, I think it's hovering around 30,000 members and that's at any one time. And we've had probably a couple hundred thousand people who have gone through the SCA over the years, many of whom have registered arms. There's no way for us to, to put that all together. There's no way for us to- uh, Digitize all of that. Right. And yeah, and a lot of those, like 1967 was a really long time ago. And even if there are, the Herald that submitted and passed those arms is still playing, is still living, the odds that they are still playing, still living, still in the same house, still using the same file storage, still using the same computer that they put it on originally 25 years ago, no. So there are resources available um, on a kingdom by kingdom basis. And as you get into heraldry, you can uh, get a, a login for what we call OSCAR, the online system for commenting and response. However, OSCAR stops at about 2005. Right. Oscar, Oscar started at some point and uh, uh, was adopted widely at some point. And before that, you can't, there's nothing. Um, there is a way to do it though, um, but it's a, using what we call the uh, O&A or the um, ordinary and armorial to look up a set of arms and then reach out to the society archivist. But Basically, you have you have to have your list ready to go. You have to know exactly what you're you're looking for, and you'll get you will literally get scans of every single piece of paper that you're asking for. Um, the lady who who is the current um, College of Arms uh, archivist is very nice and will gladly hop on. I don't know if she's in our uh, thing, but uh, she will gladly step in and say, hey, I've got this. Uh, the other thing that um, it, it, those scans will also be heavily redacted because they carry personal identifying information. Now, some of that personal identifying information might be 50 years old, <laughs> but, um, you know, some of the more recent ones have addresses, have dates of birth, have things like that. So you're going to end up getting a heavily, heavily, heavily redacted, you know, picture uh, back of, well, this is what was registered. Um, so. The SCA is not going to dox anyone. No. Um, and, and if you do, shame on you. <laughs> the ONA is a great resource, uh, but it is definitely when you are at the level of, I know what I want. <laughs> because it is text-based, you don't get pictures. It is very picky about what you put in. Uh, uh, so it is more at the level of, I know I want three cherry blossoms. I now need to see what conflicts with three cherry right. blossoms. Rather than, I have no idea what I want. Let me scroll through and see what people have done. Yeah, your best bet is really to look at either a period armorial or your kingdom armorial or... Um, even a modern armorial, although 
you really want to be really careful with those. Um, other places that I would highly recommend is um, sites like Mistholm, which is run by um, Bruce Draconarius of Mistholm, who is amazing. Um, and he's got a bunch of charges literally ready to be traced. And you can look at those as examples. Um, another one is heraldicart.com, I think, or heraldicart.org. Um, that will also pull up, uh, it's basically traceable art for your heraldry. You can use it as a stencil, you can use it, um, I use it frequently as part of my work with the Memorial Shield Project, um, where I'm putting together memorial shields of, and some of them are difficult. Thank you. Um, yeah, so there's, those are the resources available. There are a lot of them. There is just unfortunately due to size and 50 yeah. years and server space, not a society-wide picture group that you can go look through. Yep. Um, and we are now coming to our last myth and misconception before we take some questions. And this one, the myth is, this goes back to one of the earlier ones, but it's kind of the more encompassing version. Heralds don't like passing devices. Heralds just want to keep people out. Heralds are, are... Heralds are the man, man. Right. Heralds are the man. Heralds are people too. And that's a, that's a big theme for, uh, for Her Excellency. And that's a, a, something that I tried to press a lot when I was uh, Principal Herald too, is that we are here because we enjoy doing these things. Every Herald that you've ever talked to is a volunteer. Unless you are calling up the actual UK College of Arms or the Canadian Heraldic Authority, you're not talking to someone who's being paid to do this. You, you may be talking to someone who has been awarded or rewarded for doing it. But fundamentally, every person who gets up and works a consult table or does a uh, court or, or comments on Oscar, comments on Oscar are there because they have said, I like this aspect of heraldry. I want to do this aspect of heraldry and I want to donate my time and emotional well-being and brain power to this task, just like any other volunteer in the society. And you wouldn't do that if you hated people. You wouldn't do that if you didn't want it to be good and big and everywhere. I didn't, I didn't become a herald so that I could stop people from having heraldry. I lowered prices when I was uh, Gold Falcon so that everyone could register heraldry. I've helped make decisions in wreath meeting on uh, on charges that we didn't have um, just so someone could have uh, arms that they wanted. Um, we're all in the SCA volunteers and it is critically important that if we want to keep the health of the SCA going, that we thank our volunteers, that we send in award racks, that we we are very open about, we praise things. Now, if someone screws up, then certainly tell someone who can say, hey, yo, you kind of screwed, that was not probably the best thing you could do, but there are things out there. Um, there should be processes in place, and those processes are so very important um, to a functional society. and. You know, people, you know, 
I understand, hey, you know, you're having a bad day, but if it's consistent behavior, if you are, you know, constantly telling people that the heralds are, are just out to get you because they just don't like your stuff, hey, guess what? That's not actually the case. Um, they're, they're, the rules exist for a reason, just like rules for uh, fighting exist or rubrics exist for arts and sciences. They're there to keep things enjoyable and keep them fun. And I think it's, there are heralds that are dicks. And that's, we can absolutely say that. Oh yeah. Dante and I have met them. You've probably met them. But heraldry is one area where for some reason, if a herald is a dick, all heralds are dicks. On, on both the rapier and the, and the heavy field, I've fought people who are absolute douchebags. But I've never thought, well, all heavy fighters or all rapier fighters are douchebags because of or it's like all laurels are, are jerks. And we right. know that to be not true. We know to avoid those certain people or we, we make a note of those people. If you, have a, if you have a bad heraldic experience, I encourage you to contact someone, whoever you are talking to, unless Laurel Queen of Arms has just peed in your Cheerios. And even she, everyone in the society who is a herald, has someone they have to report to, whether that is a regional officer, whether that's their kingdom officer, whether that's Laurel, or for Laurel, not that she would, but that's the board of directors. Or even, you know, if, they, if they're a herald at large and you happen to know that they have a peer that they're attached to. Yeah. Every, right. Everybody answers to someone. Everyone has someone who, even if they don't have the authority to say, you're done, they will probably listen to good and wholesome counsel from. Yeah. So please, if you have a bad experience and if, or if you see someone having a bad experience, encourage them to not say, well, the heralds are jerks. I encourage them to think of it as, well, that herald is a jerk or that herald is having a bad day or that herald was in a bad place. And then use those structures that Constantia talked about to try to fix that rather than flipping the table and saying, well, fine, I won't ever register my arms because a herald was mean to me at one event in 1986. Also, it was 1986. I was three. <laughs> right. It's not my fault. I was one. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of our last uh, myth or misconception that we have written out. We are also over an hour of actual class time. So this does qualify now for both Rush and RLIU credit. Yes, Your Excellency, we are babies, as Zoe says. Um, does anyone have any questions before we wrap this up, turn off the recording, turn on Zoe's camera so she can do interpretive dance, and then I briefly talk for anyone interested about TRMN uh, heraldry. Dad, if you're still there, if you want your name in the record, this is it. <laughs> All right, Michael Parker, who wanted his name preserved for all time, said this is really fun, you guys are great. So there, I have done my, my filial duty. Duty. <laughs> As a proper Japanese man. No dishonor on me or my cow. Boo. Um, so with that, thank you all for attending. Um, like Uji said, this will be, uh, we have recorded this for posterity. Uh, please feel free to send this podcast along to anyone who wants to listen to it or might want to know more about, you know, those heraldic misconceptions. Oh, usual process. I can, we can absolutely go do that. Um, 
That's a really good question. Uh, the question was, can you describe the usual process for registering a device? So at the very, be very starting level, it might vary uh, based on kingdoms. You might have to go to a consultation table. You might just be able to kind of figure things out on social media of your choice. Um, <clears throat> but you go through this, this thing called the consultation process where you figure out, hey, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. When you send that, when you send your packet into your submissions herald, either through your, uh, your group herald or through your, um, uh, or directly to your submissions herald, they will then take that, scan it into Oscar with the regular, or with the documentation. So if you've got name, you know, if you've got a name on there or on, on one of your forms uh, with the documentation of where you found it, um, where it's from, what time period it is, uh, if uh, those cultures uh, had contact with one another. So if you want, want to be a Norse samurai, sorry, probably not gonna happen. Um, My yeah, dream being Takauji fork beard will uh, have oh, to uh, for another day. Takauji, you know, Bluetooth. Uh, um, those, that sort of thing, um, once it goes, once it reaches your submissions herald and they've put it through Oscar, it goes through uh, an internal level of commenting. That internal level of commenting is usually limited to just the kingdom's heralds um, with occasional special guests. Like I can basically, me personally, um, because I've been doing this for a while and I'm somewhat relatively trusted uh, in heraldic circles, um, I can go comment uh, on other kingdoms' internal letters. There are a couple of kingdoms that don't. I don't think the West does. They still do in-person meetings because the West has been doing this forever and they've got their system figured out. But It's the West's lawn and we're all just children who should not be on it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so once it goes from that internal letter and that usually takes about a month, there's usually a decision meeting and that decision meeting at the internal level is, do you have your paperwork? Does it conflict with anyone? Um, does your paperwork match what you're submitting? That's, that's basically the only thing, or it, and do you have your payment in? Those are the only things that we can really stop you for at that level. After that, it goes up to what I call the big kids pool. And that is where the entire known world will look at your submission um, based on what your kingdom has put through. The entire known world that has Oscar. Content, yeah, yeah, has Oscar privileges. privileges and, yeah. uh, and again, most of those people have been doing this forever. I'm looking at you, Bruce, um, or Allison or whatnot. And again, it's gonna go through does it conflict with anything? Because, you know, heralds are people, we are not perfect. We might miss a conflict. So it's always nice to have someone go, oh, hey, this conflicts with Joe Bob, or hey, this conflicts with Her Excellency, or whatnot. Or things like, that has too many layers. I don't know if you can do this. But here's, you know, we might actually try to try and save, and we do try to save quite a few at that, you know, at that level of 
well, that name looks weird. I'm not sure about the documentation, but wait, there's this additional documentation. Here's this, we can save this name. We'll use, we'll use this documentation instead. Uh, that takes about three months. After that three months is up, it goes through an additional decision meeting <laughs> um, that is split up by names and devices. Devices are done by Wreath Sovereign of Arms. Uh, names are done by Pelican Sovereign of Arms. Um, and from there, uh, after their decision meeting, those go to a proofreading um, uh, session where they're all, all the decisions are posted on a, on a letter. They go out to a very select group of people who are trusted on, hey, I'm, you're going to catch mistakes. You're not going to tell us how commenting went. Uh, commenting is done secretly because we know that people get really um, invested in their devices and their names because they are part of your identity. We get it. I promise you we do. Um, things like that. <laughs> um, after that whole, and there are two proofreading passes that takes about another month. After that, uh, a letter of acceptances and returns goes out. Um, if you are part of the Calendar Heralds group, you will see LOARs posted. Um, other kingdoms might vary. Um, once it is out on that, your stuff is either, you find out then, um, unless you've received co communication from uh, someone along that line. Uh, it takes about nine months. Um, it is like having a baby. It is almost like having, almost exactly like having a baby, only uh, not quite as painful, arguable. And you don't have to pay for it to go to college unless you want to pay for yourself to go to college. So, all right. Uh, we had a... Yeah, Sheila asked, is there a limit to the number of charges and the like that you can have on uh, a device or arms? And the answer is... There is not a limit on any discrete element. There is a limit on how much total stuff you can have. And that is, uh, you can have eight, you can't have nine, right? Uh, so yeah, it's a complexity of eight, unless you can document it further. Right, so generally speaking, and, and when we talk about complexity, we, we are literally talking about every element, the number of colors, the number of charges, the number of different charges. Like my device, it has complexity for gold, black, cherry blossoms, and a pale. So I have complexity four. And see, mine is blue, white, uh, black, border, serif. So I have complexity of five. So as long as you get to eight and don't go into nine, you're fine. And just because I have three cherry blossoms does not mean each individual one counts separately for complexity. Mm -hmm. I have cherry blossoms. That's one point of complexity. If I also threw on, you know, a, a border, that would be an additional point for the border plus an additional point for the color of the border, unless it was uh, the same colors as the field. Although my favorite thing to do is speaking of complexity, and this is things heralds do to one another is I have a second, right? I have uh, a badge that is a serif proper. Serif proper is basically, it's, um, it's an angel with six wings. That's basically bust height. 
um, that is, it's literally rainbow colored. So, and it's still technically a, it's technically a complexity of one <laughs> because it's proper. It, it proper is, is Harold's shorthand for this is how, this is how we've defined this. So, but it makes, it makes Harold's hurt. <laughs> so. and, and complexity and busyness and oh my God, why-ness don't necessarily have a directly proportional relationship. Yeah. You can have fairly simple devices that will still make people scream. And you can have fairly complex devices that still look very elegant and not... And simple. Good. Yeah. So that's... There is not a specific limit on uh, number of any discrete thing. There is a specific limit on number of total things. That being said, there is a thing called slot machine. Uh, that is three things in a three separate things in a row. So, you know, it looks like a slot machine. Yeah. So that's, but that's, that's because of the, of what it looks like and how that is specifically not a period practice rather than it being, you can't have three different things. You can, you just can't arrange them. So it looks like you're pulling the uh, one armed bandit in Vegas. Yeah. So you know, if you have a cherry and uh, an X and yeah. yeah. And 11. Yeah. But so that is that. Uh, all right. Any other questions? All right. Seeing none, if you do have follow-up questions, please feel free to message us. Please feel free to email me at the email I posted earlier, which I will post again, officeruji at gmail.com. Uh, Please feel free to talk to Harold's at events. We are happy to answer any follow-ups. Again, I'm also oops, putting sorry. my email. You're fine. I'm also putting my email in in the event that, <laughs> yeah, uh, you also have questions. We are both uh, incredibly open about uh, sharing this knowledge. Well, we will talk your leg off if, if you let us. Um, I have a blog. I'm going to go ahead and plug that as well. Uh, it is uh, Keloetna at, at uh, wordpress.com. And I've got quite a few articles uh, on there about the heraldic process and other things like that. And I am also putting in the chat, I have started a new website for heraldic recruiting. It is literally beaherald.com. It is still under construction, but it has links to every kingdom college of arms that have a website for their college of arms. If you, uh, it will have resources, it will have links to articles, it will have links to blogs, and it has general descriptions of heraldic stuff. If you know someone who is interested in heraldry, send them there. Like the SEA University podcast, there are not ads on the site. This is not making me money. Um, or me. <laughs> right. It is, it is purely, uh, these are labors of love because we do love heraldry. With that, thank you all for coming. I am going to turn off the recording and please again share this podcast with anyone you think would be interested.